Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Side between Lindor and the third baseman Vantos. And a swing and a line drive over Lindor's head in the left center field to base it. Rounding third is called coming home. He'll score. Candelario's trying for second. The throw there is not in time. For the second night in a row, he attempts to leg a single into a double. And this time he is successful. After driving in his 53rd run of the year with a hit in the left center field. And now he's at second with two out and call to the dugout with run number five. It's the Nationals five and the Mets nothing. Here's a swing to chopping ground ball to third. Beatty waited on it, now comes in, charges, hesitates, throws low, and not in time as Manessas crosses the plate. And the Nationals add to their lead. The hesitation of Beatty, double clutch and a low throw, and Garrett beats the play. And there's the second run of the inning for the Nationals. It's now Washington 10 and New York 4. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, July 30th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at City Field in New York City. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Saturday night ended up being quite the night at City Field. A, we had the start of the game delayed by an hour and 20 minutes due to rain, as yes, we had yet another rain delay for a Nats game. B, we, during the game, had the Mets trading Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers, making it so that his final start for the Mets came against the Nats the previous night. And see, we in the actual game on Saturday night had a Nats pounding of the Mets, an 11-6 win. The Nats, over the first three innings, scored eight runs. The Nats, for the game, had 13 hits and four walks, went eight for 18 with runners in scoring position. The Nats pitching in the game wasn't so good, but when you hit like that, the pitching doesn't matter so much. That's now 44 and 62. Mark, the Nats in each of the first two games of this four-game series that the Mets scored a mere one run. Saturday night, 11 runs. Quite the offensive display on what ended up being a long night for you guys at City Field. A long night, but at the end of the night, it would be hard for anybody on the national side not to feel good about things. And listen, we aren't here to make fun of the opposition or to take some joy in their misery. But you know what? On this one night, I think it's okay to experience a little schadenfreude, right? 
Think about where the Mets have been, where the Nats have been over the last two years, what the perception of the two franchises has been, and what the expectation was here in Flushing entering this season. And now consider what they just did in trading away Max Scherzer and a whole lot of money, by the way, to the Texas Rangers, and then going out and laying an egg in that game the way they did and the Nats taking advantage of it. I'm declaring a 24-hour period here where the Nationals and their fans are allowed to enjoy this and appreciate that, at least at this moment, things look better on this side of the grass than on that side. Well, I'm a big believer in schadenfreude. I think it's healthy. I think it's needed. And, uh, you know, if when you were a kid, your parents ever told you, you shouldn't have to make others feel bad in order for you to feel good. I say that's nonsense. It always feels better when (laughs) others are feeling bad. That always will make you feel better. Okay, let's just call a spade a spade. You know, it's so funny, though, right? The Rangers, first of all, you have Mike Maddox as a pitching coach. So that's interesting, right? The former Nats pitching coach. But now Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer on that Ranger staff, although we know uh, with DeGrom, he's out due to injury. Yeah, the Mets, to me, if you replace the T with another S, you have exactly what the Mets are. They are not good. You know, just in watching this series, they have not been impressive. I mean, they are sloppy. You know, you see errors, you see balks, you just see a lot of things that are representative of a team that isn't good and uh, isn't functioning very well. But that is a New York problem. The Nationals have their own issues, but the Nats on Saturday night hit like crazy. And, you know, look, it was sort of a, a typical big offensive game for the Nats in that, you know, you had a bunch of singles, you had infield singles, you had the Nats taking advantage of sloppiness by the Mets. You also had yet another big first inning by the Nats. This really is something. So like I said, the Nats scored eight runs over the first three innings in this game. Four of the runs came in the first inning. We're now up to 68 of the Nats, 454 runs this season being first inning runs. 15% of all Nats runs this season have been first inning runs. It's such a great thing when you get out to a lead like that. It sets such a great tone. It obviously establishes a cushion And once again, I mean, the Nats were teeing off on an opposing pitcher, in this case, Carlos Carrasco, and were just so good offensively over those first three innings, especially the first inning. They were really good in the first inning in this game, but let's be clear, they were not doing that all week long. They scored more runs in the first inning of this game than they did in innings one through six, the previous five games combined, okay? That's how much they were struggling to get out to an early lead. Now, yes, Overall for the season, they have been good in the first inning, has not been that way this week. So that was a breath of fresh air to see them come out the way they did with that string of hits along the way and taking advantage of some bad Mets defense as well. But clutch hitting, taking the lead and then expanding on the lead over those next couple of innings, they beat up on Carlos Carrasco and had the fans here booing right from the start because of it. Now, You're up, what, eight to one after the third, and there's every reason to think this is going to be a cakewalk. It wasn't. We'll get to why that was the case. But in those moments, it felt especially good, I think, to see them come through with sustained offense early in a game and knock out an opposing starter, something they have not done in a while. You also had some really long, productive plate appearances by the Nats in this game, just to skip around to like various points in the game. So there was a three-run third inning. Stone Garrett in that three-run third had a one-out nine-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. Joey Manessis had a productive game, two for five with two RBI singles. Manessis in what ended up being a three-run ninth inning had a full 
count RBI single to left center field for a 9-4 Nats lead to wrap up a nine-pitch plate appearance in which he was down in the count at 1.12. I know that this has been an issue lately for the Nats, not working counts enough. They were doing that in this game. Now, there were some early count hits and productive plate appearances in this game too. So it wasn't just, you know, all a bunch of lengthy plate appearances, but it really felt like the Nats approach in this game was a lot better than what we had been seeing. And it's something they've been trying to preach to them for a while now. They haven't always seen it, especially early in the game. And yeah, it does make a difference. Even if you don't come away with runs, if you can at least make the opposing starter work, you're setting him back and setting a tone for the whole night. And all of a sudden, that guy has to pitch uphill and he's paying attention to what his pitch count is and thinking, oh boy, I may be lucky to get through the fifth tonight. And now the manager has to think, okay, well, how am I going to manage my bullpen? And there've been way too many games this year in which you've seen the opposing starter reach the sixth inning on like 65 pitches, reach the seventh inning in the mid seventies. And you just, you can't have that. You've got to make guys work in today's game more than that. So credit to them for doing a better job of that. And also credit to them in this game for hustling. There was a lot of examples of hustle in this game, both early and late, no matter the score. The Mets have bad defense, yes, but I think the Nats helped make that possible by putting pressure on the Mets by just running hard on the bases. Yeah, Jammer Candelario in a one-run second, two-out, opposite field, RBI, hustle double to left center for a 5-0 Nats lead. And just to amplify that point about the Nats working counts, Mets pitchers in this game over nine innings threw 171 pitches. That works out to an average of 19 pitches per inning. You know, Buck Showalter in this game ended up using seven pitchers, you know, Carlos Carrasco and six relievers. So yeah, the Nats did a very nice job offensively. You wish it could be like this every game, but as we've talked about, like the Nats will do this and then, you know, they'll do what they did over the first two games of this series, you know, score just one run in each of two consecutive games, that kind of a thing. You know, you know, that's how it is when you don't have a great offensive team. Although the Nats this season, if they hit home runs, this actually would profile as a pretty good offensive team. This is a team that hits for average. This actually is a team that does get on base, even though the Nats don't draw a lot of walks. It's just a lack of homers, really, that's been the big bugaboo. So, you know, nobody really had like a monster game in this game for the Nats. You did have four different Nats, though, each of whom had two hits. I mentioned what Joey Manessis did. The lead RBI guy for the Nats in this game was catcher Riley Adams. And yet another instance of this guy producing in a rare start here, Riley Adams on Saturday night as a starting catcher and number eight batter, two for five with a two-run double and an RBI double. Adams and that Nats three-run third had a one-out two-run double to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-1 Nats lead. And Adams and that Nats three-run ninth, a two-out first pitch RBI double to the left center field gap for an 11-4 Nats lead. We have been calling to see more of Riley Adams. I don't know if we're going to or not. Perhaps the trade deadline uh, will help to dictate some of that. But once again, this guy gets called upon. And once again, he delivers in a game this season. He's really done a remarkable job under the circumstances. And the longer it goes on, I think the more you have to pay attention to it and acknowledge that he is one of their best offensive weapons this season. So much so that, yeah, I agree he should be getting more opportunities. We've seen him DH a few times, or actually Caber Ruiz DH with Riley Adams catching, but you can flip-flop that as well. I think it's something they need to consider more down the stretch if it means Dom Smith gets a night off and Joey Manessis plays first base, so be it. If it means that Manessis gets a night off, so be it. 
I think there should be opportunities to do this. On a team that has so little offensive punch and power, you have a guy who can hit for some power and is producing when you call upon him. Why not try to get more out of him? I think that is something they should look to do more. Now, there's another little wrinkle to this. One of our readers emailed us about this, and I've kind of had the same thought and heard it from other people here lately. Is there any reason for the Nats to consider trading Riley Adams? I think we've brought this up here before. I don't have any reason to believe that that's in the works, but I also would say I don't think it's impossible for it to happen. If Mike Rizzo got an offer that he said, hey, I'm not going to turn that one down and and we're going to sell high on a guy having a great year, you know, maybe it could happen. But I feel like this is somebody who can help you now and in the future. You just have to find more ways to get him in the lineup. I think it's doable with the DH. Yeah, I mean, the thinking would be you have this guy, Drew Millis, playing for AAA Rochester who's hitting well. And so he could be like your next Riley Adams, maybe even something better. But, you know, I kind of look at Riley Adams and I'm like, he's young. I'd like for him to produce for our team, you know, and I'd like for the team to get more creative and more aggressive in finding him plate appearances to see if, in fact, you know, this guy can be an offensive force or, you know, an offensive producer anyway for this team in the coming seasons. I mean, I don't know a backup catcher who's done well in a limited sample this season. Is that guy really going to fetch you much of anything at a trade deadline? I guess maybe. Again, he is young. He's controllable for years to come. But I would rather see him do well here. (laughs) I don't really want to see him do well elsewhere. Adams for this season now, in even 100 plate appearances, the OPS is at 919. I mean, I don't know how you ask for much more, especially at a position where there is such a lack of good hitters. Catcher is in a place that I don't know that it's ever been in. There is just such a dearth of like, good hitting catchers in the majors and that your backup catcher can hit like this to the tune of a 919 OPS. That is so rare. That would be good for any backup player at any spot at catcher. (laughs) That is so rare. Yeah. And look, he's not suddenly going to become the starting catcher. They've committed to K. Barrett Ruiz and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean you can't get creative and find ways to do this. I don't think first base is in the mix. We talked about that the other day, but you have the DH. I think there are opportunities to do that, even if ultimately they call up Drew Millis and keep him as a third catcher. You know, I know there's always this fear of like, hey, you don't want to play both catchers because if somebody gets hurt, you're in trouble. So if you want to have Millis up here just as that emergency scenario, and then that affords you the opportunity to use both Ruiz and Adams in a lineup on the same night. And I don't think anybody should be safe among the other regulars, certainly not the guys who are not necessarily part of the long-term plan. Here, If they need to sit a few days a week so that both catchers can be in the lineup, I think that's perfectly appropriate at this point. And just the last point to what you were saying, and I'm glad you said it about feeling like you'd rather keep him than try to move him. Like Lane Thomas, to a much lesser extent, but like Lane Thomas, this is one of the first players they acquired in the initial sell-off of July 2021. I don't think they're in a position now where suddenly they're flipping those guys like he's supposed to be part of the plan moving forward. Maybe not as your everyday guy, but as a part of it. You got him for Brad Hand. Why would you try to now turn that into something even better? You got a good quality number two catcher out of this and a guy who maybe could even be more than that. Keep him. And like Lane Thomas, it's interesting. Adams and Thomas, each guy hit well down the stretch in 21. Each guy came back down to earth 
to varying extents last season. And now each guy this season overall is doing well. We've noted Thomas has struggled lately, but each guy overall this season has been quite good. So Riley Adams was good on Saturday night. Jamer Candelario got on base four times, a two for three with an RBI double, an infield single, a walk, and a hit by pitch. So he got on base in all kinds of ways as, uh, you know, we are essentially counting down the days here until Jamer Candelario presumably is traded come Tuesday. He was in the lineup, so whatever happened to him physically on Friday night was not good enough to keep him out of the lineup on Saturday night. I had this thought during the day on Saturday about Candelario as we approach the trade deadline and wonder what the Nats might be able to get for him. So the thinking is that last year, Josh Bell in the Juan Soto trade netted Harleen Susana, right? Would you say right now this year, Candelario has the same trade value as Bell, more or less? Because if you could get the equivalent of a Susana, a guy with high upside just at the lower level of the minors for Candelario, I think most people would be good with that. I know I would. But how would you compare the trade value of Candelario now to Josh Bell at this time last year? Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. I think Bell was the better hitter, maybe more feared hitter. I mean, he was having a big year last year for the trade and then really struggled with the Padres. But Jamer adds the defensive value that Josh Bell didn't at a, an important position at third base. You know, I was thinking today about what can you reasonably expect for somebody like Jamer Candelaro as a rental. And I'm not thinking in terms of a 19-year-old flamethrower who's going to be years away from reaching the big leagues. I'm thinking of somebody who can help you more immediately. And the previous trade that came to mind was Daniel Hudson for Mason Thompson. If you can get a Mason Thompson type, a good quality reliever who's right on the verge, if not already ready for the big leagues and is controllable for years to come, I think that'd be a nice pickup for a rental player. I think that's the kind of thing that could help both teams out. I think it's probably too much to expect a future everyday position player when you're talking about a a rental, unless it's, again, somebody who's way down in the minors and has got a ways to go or isn't that highly thought of. But I think for a pitcher and particularly a reliever, I think I would rather have a reliever who's close to big league ready than a potential starter who's that far away like Susan is. That's my opinion on it, at least. Going to be interesting to see what the Nats are able to get for Candelario, assuming that he is dealt come Tuesday. Dominic Smith had a big hit in this game on Saturday night. He only went one for five, but the one was a two-run single. He in that four-run first, a one-out bases loaded, two-run opposite field single to left field for a 3 nothing Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at one point, one, two. So just, you know, a lot of production up and down. Again, nobody really had like a monster game. Luis Garcia, two for five with two singles and two strikeouts. He also had a stolen base. Lane Thomas, one for five with an RBI single. I like this too. So CJ Abrams in this game, one for five with a single, but he ignited that four run first. He reached base on a one-two pitch via a throwing error by the Mets starting third baseman, Mark Vientos, who perhaps rushed his throw due to Abrams' speed. And so, you know, you look at that, and in the box score, it doesn't go down as a hit. But A, Abrams turning a plate appearance in which he's down 1-2 into him getting on base, and B, and look, we can't say this with certainty, but the speed of Abrams, perhaps a factor in creating that throwing error by Vientos and starting what ended up being a big first inning for the Nats. Yeah, I agree. I mentioned earlier about the aggressiveness and the hustle they showed enforcing the issue for a bad defensive team to get a little bit worse. And no matter who the Mets have had at third base in this series, Vientos or Beatty, they are both really, really shaky out there. And I think the Nats took advantage of that. And yet, Davey mentioned 
that first inning, crediting C.J. Abrams for igniting it by getting it started just by hustling down the line. The other bit of hustle, I want to go back to Candelario real quick. He had the hustle double in the second inning. My favorite moment of the game was actually in the ninth. He gets hit by pitch again. Yet again, this guy is like a ball magnet right now. But he gets on first, and now (laughs) I can't even believe this. In the ninth inning, he is running on the pitch. Joey Manessis hits a, a ball to the gap in left center. It's a hit and run with Joey Manessis and Jamer Candelario. And even though Manessis was held to a single, Candelario scored from first on that in the ninth inning at, you know, like 11.15 p.m. after a rain delay and everything else. And with the Nats kind of comfortably ahead, they're up, I guess, four runs at that point. I loved that. And I, I think, and Davey mentioned this as well, that says so much about Jamer Candelario and the impact he has on this team. That's setting an example for other guys on the team. And if and when he is traded in the next few days, that kind of stuff is going to be lost. And I think teammates are going to miss that sort of example that he sets for them. Even in the ninth inning at the end of a long night, he was busting himself to score from first base on a single. That was impressive. And one of my favorite things of baseball reference is the extra bases taken percentage stat, which is, you know, like when you on a one base hit advance two bases on a two base hit, you advance three bases. Rare is the instance that on a one base hit a single, a guy advances three bases like we had on that play. Like you rarely see that. And yet we saw that on Saturday night. And to the point about the Mets horrendous defense at third base, That three-run ninth also had a Stone Garrett two-out first pitch RBI infield single on a grounder to the Mets' third baseman in that inning, Brett Beatty, who butchered that play in all kinds of ways. The Nats took a 10-4 lead. So yes, feasting on a team in the Mets that's not going so well. The Nats offensively more than good in this game on Saturday night. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats Chat. Beyonce is performing at FedEx Field on Saturday, August 5th, and no surprise, it is expensive. We can help, though, by using the special promo code for Nats Chat with the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for events like this one for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set. Now the pitch. Swing and Alonso lifts it in the air to right center field. The park will hold it. Cole and Thomas converging. They're both there. Cole calls. And Cole makes the catch. And a curly W's in the books here in New York. On a day when the Mets traded away former national Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers. And they defeat the Mets here in game three of this four-game series. As the Nationals round the field to celebrate a victory, the final score, the Washington Nationals 11, the New York Mets 6. Well, not too good for the Nats on Saturday night was their pitching. Again, when you score 11 runs, you have a lot of leeway with what you end up doing with your pitching. Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher in this game. Four runs in five and two-thirds innings. Obviously, you score eight runs over the first three innings. You want your starter to eat up innings and just work quickly, throw strikes, get us in, get us out. You know, Corbin for a while was doing okay, but things ended up not going so well. Again, four runs, five and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, two home runs, two doubles, and two singles. Now, he didn't issue any walks. That was good, but he recorded just two strikeouts. He did issue a hit by pitch and a wild pitch. He threw 93 pitches, 59 strikes versus 34 balls. You could tell Davey put him back out there for that sixth inning, wanted to get at least six innings from the guy. And unfortunately, Corbin couldn't do that. Yeah. Look, when you're given that kind of early offensive support, to me, the baseline now for that starting pitcher is getting through the sixth and probably on three runs or less. You got to turn in a quality start with that kind of run support. And the fact that he couldn't, either in terms of the length, he only went five and two thirds, or the runs allowed, he gave up four. That, to me, tells you so much about Patrick Corbin and why it's been so frustrating the last few years. Yeah, he's made some improvements. Yeah, he's better than he was, you know, the most of the last two years. But everything was there for him in this game. Early lead, facing a team that, let's be honest, looks like they've given up. (laughs) And you can't at least go six innings and give up three or fewer runs. That, to me, was a pretty big indictment of him. And nothing new. It's what we've been seeing from him for the last several years now. Yeah, and it's why I brought up the other day the notion of next season, the Nats having the rotation depth to where maybe Corbin doesn't have to be in the rotation because, you know, it just, it feels like we're the hamster on the wheel with this guy when he starts. And it's just, you know, we know what the deal is. We're all just kind of waiting for the contract to end. And they feel like wastes of time, these starts. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going anywhere. Sometimes he's good, yes, and it's nice to see that. But like, I think by now, everyone's given up on him ever being what he was in 2019. 
And so, you know, it's sad to say, but you're just kind of waiting for this contract to run out at the end of next season. I mean, I think any notion of him being traded this season is pretty much out the window. I guess maybe this offseason or next year, somehow you work something out. I suppose that's possible. But I don't know that people have the stomach for another year of this where, like, we're dancing this dance one more time. I mean, 22 starts this season. The ERA is at 507. The whip is at 153. And, you know, it just it is what it is at this point. The Nats bullpen on Saturday night was interesting. Yet four Nats relievers combining to allow two runs in three and a third innings. Two of the relievers were good. The other two relievers, not so good. Jordan Weems was good. Another impressive outing for this guy. This has been encouraging the rise of Jordan Weems here over these last few weeks. Weems won and a third perfect innings with three strikeouts. Then, though, we got another rough outing for Mason Thompson. He, in the bottom of the eighth, faced three batters, got just one out. He issued a leadoff walk of Francisco Lindor, despite Lindor having been down at 1.12. And Thompson gave up a one-out first pitch single by Tommy Pham. Although, in fairness to Thompson, the Pham single came on like a flare to no man's land in right center field. Then came Kyle Finnegan. And if there is such a thing as a high leverage spot for a reliever and what ends up being essentially a blowout win, this was it. So Finnegan faced two batters, got two outs. Came into the game in the bottom of the eighth, runners at the corners, one out, Nats up 8-4. The game at that point was kind of sort of feeling like, I don't know about this, because the Nats had not scored in a while, and we know that the Mets do have talent, even though the Mets aren't necessarily uh, delivering on that talent this season, and we know how it'd be with this Nats bullpen. So this, to me, at least felt like a big spot. And Finnegan came through. He retired to each of the first two batters he faced, including a swinging strikeout of pinch hitter Daniel Vogelback for the third out. So Weems was good. Finnegan was good. But then we had Andres Machado in the bottom of the ninth, refusing to allow this game to end. He allowed two runs. He began his outing by giving up back-to-back homers, then gave up a double. But Machado did then retire three consecutive Mets batters to end the game. So quite the adventure with the Nats bullpen in this game on Saturday night. Oh boy, a lot to uh, process with all that. The good Weems I think he is really stepping up right now when they need somebody to step up. You can tell he's feeling it. He's feeling confident in his stuff. Three straight strikeouts, outstanding. You hope he can continue that. Maybe he can become a piece for them in the long run. That was very encouraging. Mason Thompson, you know, it wasn't great, obviously. And the leadoff walk, of course, is bad. And the way things are going right now for him, it was very telling. As soon as that first batter gets on base, The Nats bullpen is up and running already. Finnegan is starting to get warm. So you knew the leash was going to be short. And unfortunately, that's the way it has to be right now. Now, saying that, he struck out Alonzo and then the little bloop single, I think I would have let him face one more batter and see if he can somehow get a ground ball, get out of the inning, and maybe you can save Finnegan for the ninth. I understand why Davey didn't want to take that chance and just went right to Finnegan there. And that was a big spot and Finnegan came through for them. But in some ways, Davey was bailed out by the extra insurance runs that they scored in the top of the ninth because that allowed him to remove Finnegan and put Machado in with what was at that point, I think, a seven-run lead. Now, Machado made it more interesting than it needed to be. But otherwise, he's asking Finnegan for a five-out save there in a four-run game at the time. So I think I would have liked for Thompson to get one more batter, see if he could get out of it before you then go to Finnegan. But this is where they are right now with him. They're basically putting him into a game, anticipating that it might not go well, and they might need to pull him pretty quickly. Well, and I think they see what we've talked about, which is when Mason has it, 
he has it. And you can see that when he doesn't have it, you also know pretty quickly where he's at. And when you tweeted that, that right away off the walk of Lindor, the Nats were warming somebody up in the bullpen. I almost laughed at that because I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what we're all thinking of like, oh boy, here we go. But thankfully, things worked out. I mean, you know, Finnegan has not been perfect this year, but he has demonstrated an aptitude for being a fireman and for coming into these spots and getting the job done. I give him credit. That's not easy to do. He's done that uh, a good bit this season, and he did that in this game on Saturday night. Well, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Max Scherzer got traded during this game. This was odd. I mean, you do see this happen. I joked about would Scherzer even start for the Mets against the Nats on Friday night? Might Max be traded before the game on Friday night? He wasn't. But no, he ended up getting traded on Saturday night. So this is essentially still a developing deal uh, as we're taping this in the early morning hours of Sunday morning. But yeah, Max going to the Texas Rangers. Max had to waive what was a full no trade clause in his contract. The Mets reportedly are paying all but $22.5 million of Max's salary. What was interesting was what Max said to reporters on Friday night. So prior to being traded, but after the outing against the Nats, Max, quote, I've got to have a conversation with the front office about everything. That's the most I'm going to say. You have to talk to the brass. You have to understand what they see, what they're going to do. That's the best I can tell you, end quote. Those did not sound like the words of someone who was thrilled with his current predicament. I wonder if him being traded is the Mets trading him, him asking to be traded, maybe a little bit of both. But whatever the case, it does not appear as if Max's experience with the Mets went swimmingly. You know, last season, he was good for a good chunk of the season, but he did not come through for the Mets late in the season. He and DeGrom both struggled late in the year. And now we had what happened this season. Max dealt with injury, dealt with some ineffectiveness, ERA over four. And now, I don't know if ugly is the right word, but this was not, it feels like, a warm and fuzzy uh, ending to his relationship with the Mets. No. When he said that he was going to want to go have a talk with them about everything and want to hear where they're coming from, uh, no, I didn't interpret that as him walking into that meeting with Steve Cohen, Billy Epler, Buck Showalter, whoever it was, and asking them what's going on. I interpreted that as he went into that meeting and told them what he wanted to have done. Now, he had a lot of leverage because he had the no trade clause and this whole issue with his contract. It's a player option for next year at $43 million. And part of the sticking point for a little while there with the trade was that the Rangers wanted him to waive that to essentially commit to staying with them next year instead of opting out essentially and being a free agent again. So he was finally willing to do that. And because of that, the Mets got a better prospect in return. Ronald Acuna Jr.'s younger brother, by the way. But to me, this was Max holding all the cards and him reading the trade wins here in Flushing Meadows and seeing it going down the toilet and deciding, I want out. I don't know if he'd ever publicly admit this, but he just turned 39. He pitched well the other night against the Nats, sure. His ERA is still over four. Is he acknowledging here that he is not the same guy he used to be? And there's only so much time left for him and only so many opportunities to try to win. Yeah, he could have stuck it out and hoped that the Mets turn it around next year. But I think he, in his mind, is saying, you know what? I got to go try to win this year. I don't know. Nothing is guaranteed beyond this. Where can I go 
that I actually will have a chance to win and get out of the mess that's going on here in New York. And so he looked at a Texas team with a manager in Bruce Bochy, who's won three World Series, a pitching coach in Mike Maddox that he already knows from the time with the Nationals and respects, and an organization that seems very motivated to try to win right now. So I think that was Max calling the shots on that and not so much the Mets deciding that they wanted to get rid of him. Well, it's amazing how things work out. This installment of the Nat Chat podcast is for Sunday, July 30th. July 30th is two years to the day of the Nationals trading Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, it's interesting now you think about Max. He's been on the Diamondbacks. He's been on the Tigers. He's been on the Nats. He's been on the Dodgers, been on the Mets. And now he's about to be on the Rangers. I remember us talking about, you know, will Max Scherzer go into the Hall of Fame with the Nationals cap? And, you know, we said, well, boy, I don't know. The Dodgers are really good. You never know how well things might go for Max with the Dodgers. Now that he's bouncing around a little bit, and certainly the last, you know, year or so hasn't gone so great, it feels like more than ever before when Max goes into the Hall of Fame, and he will go into the Hall of Fame. I think that's as clear as can be. The betting favorite has to be on him going in as a Nat, right? I mean, at this point, what would you say, the Tigers? He won a World Series with the Nats. He really established himself as a true great with the Nats. How could anyone view it any other way at this point? As we get into this topic, I want to give some credit to a couple of loyal listeners who were here at the game and met up with me in the concourse during the rain delay, Melissa Cohen and her father. They brought it up, Larry brought it up, that the trade maybe solidifies the idea that Max Scherzer would go into the Hall of Fame as a national. I think the only chance that it wouldn't have been that way is if he came here to New York or if he'd stayed in LA maybe, won another Cy Young Award, won another World Series with that team and had a couple of really good years there, then maybe he could try to make the case that he had had success multiple places and go in with a blank cap, that kind of thing. That's not the case anymore. And I guess it's still possible for him to do some great things in Texas, but time's running out. And I think we can acknowledge that at this point at age 39, he's not the same pitcher that he used to be. So you never say never, but as we sit here right now, it sure feels like when it's all said and done, the clear pinnacle of Max Scherzer's career will have been the seven seasons he spent with the Nationals. And so hopefully that does mean that that plaque eventually in Cooperstown has a curly W on it. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com. Game four of this series for the Nats at the Mets Sunday afternoon at 1.40. Trevor Williams, the former Met, will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. That is lined into right center field. That's down for a base hit and more. Cutting it off out in center field is Frazier. House is to second base with his third double tonight. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.